Hey, it's Robert Gowan. We're sitting at 15 Perry Street, and I'm joined by my sidekick. Hey, it's Kyle, guys. How are you? So at uh, 15 Perry Street, we appreciate these guys allowing us to sit here and uh, in the studio and record. And want to give a shout-out to them. If you're not familiar with them, check them out on Instagram, at 15 Perry Street. So we're joined by Sophie Allaire. And Sophie, so much. Uh, we can't thank you so much about coming in here. You just came from Florida. You drive all over. We want to talk about the van life and the whole thing. But thank you so much for being here having me yeah absolutely so let's go back though to the humble beginnings where everything started mm. where did that happen well I grew up outside of Cleveland Ohio it's a little town called Bainbridge and yeah I was the oldest of three kids um, I'm half Korean so my mom's Korean my dad's Caucasian they met um, in Korea obviously before I was born but no my dad was not a GI <laughs> he was an engineer <laughs> my mom was a nurse and they worked in the same power plant. So, um, but yeah, I grew up there closer to downtown Cleveland my first few years of life. And then we moved out to a more rural area of Ohio. And yeah, from there went to Singapore for a short, short while, went right back to Ohio. And then uh, from there, yeah, went to West Point. Singapore, as far as like the whole family moved or just you? No, yeah, the whole family. Okay. Actually, third wow. to fourth grade, I lived in Singapore, which was... I mean, I never even heard of Singapore at that age. <laughs> yeah, third or fourth grade, it's like, what, who, where? Yeah, I like lived in, you know, middle of nowhere, Ohio. Um, but because my mom was Asian and my dad had the opportunity to, to go abroad for work, and they just asked him, well, what part of the world do you want to go to? He worked for a really big company at the time. And um, he was like, well, how about somewhere in Asia? So they said, okay, you're going to Singapore. So we were supposed to be there for three to five years, but we ended up coming back after a year which was a little unfortunate. I was yeah. having a blast. But <laughs> so from Singapore, where did you end up coming? You came back to Ohio. Yeah, I went back to the same house. Same house. Same house. You didn't sell it or anything during this time frame? No, I actually, I don't know why my parents didn't. It must have been a sound economical decision. Yeah. My dad's like real good at that stuff. But um, yeah, just left all the stuff in the house, went to Singapore, and then came right back. So from there until high school... And then what all of a sudden made you decide to go to West Point, of all places? Because I asked this because there's been a, several guests on the show, and they all have various different reasons and stuff that they end up going there. Some of it because they have former you know, military family members, and in some cases their parents went there, one of their parents, or you know whatever the case. So for you? Yeah. Um, well, for me... No, there was no prior old grads, as they say, from my family. Um, my dad actually had the idea originally when he was trying to help me figure out what colleges to go to. He said, all right, here's, you know, where I think you should go. I mean, the whole concept was just so over my head. I was a I was in an all girls Catholic high school at the time and I was a studio art major and I thought I was going to go to art school. And he said, OK, I think you should either go to one of the academies or you should do ROTC. I mean, all these are great very this is like very strict though sophie so catholic <laughs> girl school to an academy there wasn't enough discipline by getting your uh, hand slapped with the ruler and being in a catholic <laughs> but she still wanted to be an art major so i know it's really yeah i think catholic school maybe i mean i'm 35 yeah 35 um <laughs> but yeah cat i mean the nuns weren't like hitting us then i'm sure they were like maybe you know a few decades before that <laughs> But um, no, the, my school wasn't that strict. I mean, we had uniforms, but aside from that, it really wasn't bad. It was right. quite chill compared to West Point, I would say. 
But um, I mean, I was my my dad just recommended going to West Point because he thought it was you know the price was right and probably you know it would set the price me up is well. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was free, yeah, taxpayer funded. <laughs> there you go. So um, and I wasn't really that interested in it, but he actually forced my younger sister and I to do a visit, and uh, we went and visited West Point and Annapolis. And after I visited, something just clicked for me there because when I was in high school, even though I was really artistic and kind of. Um, yeah, artsy like that. I also had a Palm Pilot. I graduated high school 05. So, I mean, that was like way before, you know, smartphones. A Palm I had a Palm Pilot. Yes. And I love to just structure my day. I mean, I've always had some just, I, I can't ex explain it, but I just love structure. I crave it. But I also love kind of just really. But you're a nomad. Yeah, I know. It's both. It's it's the extremes. And I'm always trying it. to find a way to, to balance it all out. But that part of West Point really appealed to me, all the yeah. structure and the fact that if you went there, that's one decision you make. Well, first you got to get in. But once you go there, you don't have to make another decision for the next nine years. And you know you're going to be on a, a good path. You're going to yeah. do four years at the academy. You have at least a five-year service obligation. Yeah. And from there, you can see what you want to do. But I thought, okay, this is... Uh, it, it also just appealed to my whatever side of me is very risk averse. Mm -hmm. um, even though I, I'm a risk taker in a lot of ways, I like just having a plan and not having to worry about all these little things. How am I going to make money, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that appealed to me. And when I went there, actually, and I met these cadets, it was so weird because I was this junior in high school and I was... I mean, I had like rainbow colored hair and I, my friend and I had like pierced our own noses and we were kind of, you know, a little edgy. And then I went to West Point and these kids who were only a couple years older than me just seemed like so mature. You know, they were wearing their uniforms. They were, uh, they just, they see, you know, they were moving towards a mission that was much bigger than themselves. And sure. that was very different from my life. And something about that I just admired so much. I thought, oh, wow. I would love to be like that. I really admire these cadets. <laughs> I laugh when I think about cadets. They're like these little young children. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I really looked up to them. And I thought, okay, if I get in here, I'll go. And I got in, so I went. So what, what was the difference between Annapolis on your visits between Annapolis and West Point? Um, well, West Point was a lot like... <laughs> spookier and uh, mm -hmm. I mean it's a lot more history and it's more I felt like Hogwarts, that. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People say it looks like Hogwarts and it's got I mean it's just got so much more history. It's been there much longer. Yeah. And something about that just I, drew me in. I know Annapolis is like more modern, more fun in an actual city, but I I don't know, even even in my van, I, I get I love ghost towns. I love just going there by myself and like being around more historical things and just there's something about it, the mystique and everything that that drew me in. So and also I would rather be in the army than the navy, personally. Um to me it just felt like the more uh <laughs> what's the word? I don't want to insult any navy go people. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad thing, it just felt more to me. I wanted I it just seemed like you know, you're going to be more in the action, things will be more in your face. And that's definitely what I was pulled towards. Because in, in addition to wanting to go to West Wing because of the structure and just entering the military in general, I came from a childhood that was very chaotic, lots of violence, lots of abuse. Um, and I mean, I don't think I'm alone in that. I, I read a stat yeah. one time that was like 90 something percent of infantry soldiers had some kind of abuse going on at home Yeah. Um, in their childhoods. And so something about, yeah. <laughs> and so... To me, I don't know, the Army just felt like the place where I would... Something about like that comfort in violence or that... Um, comfort in chaos. Yes, and yeah. like drawn to the extremes. Mm -hmm. Like uh, it just seemed... Yeah, I guess it just seemed more extreme than Annapolis. 
Now, were you also into sports in high school? Mm, kind of. I did crew rowing in high school. Oh. I'm five foot four, so I'm not tall, but really you like the ones like the Olympics where there's like four or five people yeah, and somebody exactly. saying row, row, exactly. you know, the lady yeah. on the front with the no, megaphone. Everyone always oh. asks that. <laughs> I mean, I probably should have been a coxie. I was small. I I don't know. I wasn't like the smallest. Usually, you like those people like five mm-hmm. foot or under. But um, but yeah, I. But I, what I did do is I grew up playing piano, so I had a really good sense of rhythm. And so, um, so I did. I, d- I rode crew in high school. I also did some kind of running, but I wasn't very fast back then. I did like cross country because my dad did, and I mm-hmm. thought, okay, let me get into this sport. <laughs> I was not good. I slowly got better, but I like my running didn't take off till I was definitely more in like my late teens or twenties. Um, but what yeah, w- what was your activity at uh, West Point? West Point, I did crew my first year. Um, I ended up getting kicked off that team, actually, for a drinking <laughs> violation. No way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's just more of the extreme stuff coming in, you know, yeah, like yeah. I had big issues with alcohol and, but also West Point's a place where like you could get in trouble for alcohol once and they're going to hit you with the book. You're marching hundred hours. You're going to AA meetings. You're like, so do you get the century club every year? Uh, you know about the century. I club. know all about. It. I, yeah, uh, all the little dirtbag mechanics <laughs> I had over there. Well, can you give me a used my rocket right now? Oh you know my god, no, not the rocket. I think I forget the rocket. Uh, but, um, oh, you do tell. I'm not sure I'm familiar. So, used my rocket. We had a. I had a lieutenant colonel when I was at Third Brigade, Third ID. Yeah. If you came from West Point and you were a lieutenant, first thing you did when you reported was you did the rocket in front of him. And at, at the military ball, at the cav balls we went to, he'd always make them stand up and do all the new butter bars, do the rocking from the entire... All right, we might have to do like a separate squad. video ah. here after we'll this. we get a reel of her doing the rocking. <laughs> oh, video. no, I really, I've forgotten. I, some, I just can't remember it at all. No, really, I tried to do it the other day with my godsons, and I was like, yeah. I don't even remember this. But, um, well, I mean, I'm sure I, I did do a lot of rockets at, at mm-hmm. football games, but actually I wasn't Century Club. I was actually Triple Century Club. There you go. There so you go. that was a record for my class. It was 317 hours. The best officers are always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Honestly. and actually, I did feel coming out of West, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm such a, you know, a, can I say bad word? Yeah. <laughs> fuck up at this place. Yeah. That like, yeah, this is, I mean, and everyone's telling me this is directly translated to what kind of officer you're going to be in the Army. And because I'm getting hours, that means I'm going to get men killed. <laughs> All the things oh they God. say to you there. And, uh, and yeah, the Army actually went a lot better overall mm-hmm. than West Point did for me. But, yeah. but that was me kind of just, West Point was my transition from like all the chaos in my, you know, childhood trying to escape that and create a life of my mm-hmm. own. I mean, I was estranged mm-hmm. for my first couple of years at West Point, just trying to really figure things out on my own, be financially independent, um, figure out my own path, like figure out what my, you know, first job and all that, just yeah. figuring all that out. And then, um, yeah, getting into the Army and still probably working some of that out of my system. <laughs> Back up just day. a little bit. When did you guys realize, because as you start maturing and you saw that maturity as you were walking in, mm-hmm. Like, shit's going to get real when I graduate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the time that I was there, 05 to 09 when I graduated, that was, I mean, if anything, like, more was going on then in the Army than, like, when I actually entered the Army. I'm, things were kind of starting to slow down and then finally tapering off. But, um, yeah, that was kind of the world that we were in. And in the mess hall, which is where we eat all our meals, all 4,000 cadets are eating at the same time or at least breakfast, lunch. I don't know what the rules are these days for dinner, but um, yeah, at, at 
a certain ones of these meals, everyone would stand up, and if an, uh, a graduate had passed away or been killed in, in action, we would all um, have a moment of silence. It just seemed like there were a lot of those going on when, uh, especially when I was a cadet. So that's that was yeah. I think hard to avoid. was that the surge was 0506 in Iraq. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that would have been your freshman and sophomore year. That would have yeah. been a, kind of a big deal. Like I'm sure there was a lot of moments of silence. Yeah. For those two meals throughout those two years. There were. There were. And it was just such a wild thing because 9-11 happened when I was a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was just a few years after that that I was at West Point. Yeah. So what made you decide to go in the career path that you did uh, do in the Army? Talk about branch day. Yeah, branch day. Well, okay. So at West Point, you're evaluated. You have a class rank. And Mm -hmm. that class rank determines what your Army job is going to be and what your post is going to be. So... Thankfully, most cadets are cooperate and graduate, and we'll all help each other out and try to do well. But um, your your class rank is determined. It's like fifty five percent academic, I think thirty percent military, and then fifteen percent your physical score. Physical score is your APFT and your sports and whatnot, yeah. um, and your military score is whatever made up job you have for that semester in your West Point company. You're the first sergeant of your, exactly yeah, of, okay. of the cadets, right? Cool beans. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very serious yeah. there, but um, and oh, and also all the military schools that you do and the summer mm-hmm. details and whatnot. Yeah. But so for me, you know, obviously the bulk of that is academics, and I'm middle of my class academically. Militarily, whoo, I was at the bottom of my class. It was like 317 hours. I just kept getting in trouble. That meant I like lacked military bearing, I guess. Um, and then, but physically, I went from being such a shitbag. I showed up there the worst in my platoon. Everyone, I, I mean, I know they all hated me. I was the weak link of, of the platoon. That was the, the reason everyone was having to do push It was just all of that. That was me, because I just showed up totally unprepared for the physical side of this. I mean, doing a little bit of crew back with my high school team did not get me get me ready for boot camp. But then by the time I graduated, I was actually top of my class physically from, I mean, all sorts of things I had put myself through, but turned that weakness into a strength. Um, so so yeah. what's, the, what's the weighted value then? Because you just mentioned thirds here. So yeah, is it- so it's 55% academics, I'm in the middle of my class. 30% military, I'm at the bottom of my class. And then the last 15% physical, I'm at the top. So all of that averaged out and I was in the middle of my class. Um, but as a woman, when there's only like 200 women in your class of 1,200, um, the, the good stuff goes out early and you're kind of in a window where if there's a lot of women there too who want to do the more um, hardcore, I guess, like branches. And back then, I think it might have been less than half the branches were even open to us. Now it's mm-hmm. so different to even imagine to have the full list. But back then it was only some of them and a lot of those are combat arms. And there are these rules there about how many, what percentage of women versus men could even branch combat arms. So long story short, long story long, I... Oh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, will, I would definitely want to do something combat arms, but, um, but I was just narrowly missing everything due to my class mm-hmm. rank. And so I ended up getting branched ordinance which was my seventh choice. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And for being middle of my class, it was kind of like, and that was just because, maybe if I had been a male, it would have been different, but um, it all worked out fine in the end. But, so what was your first choice? Uh, I think aviation. aviation. I did, okay. I got eye surgery even to yeah. go do that, and I kind of regret that now, but. You just wanted uh, to fly helicopters at that point. I did. I mean, it just seemed fun and interesting. Yeah. It seemed like it was going to make for an interesting Army career. 
Um, and then I had like engineers there and several other things. And uh, yeah, I ended up getting branched ordinance. <laughs> so, um, but because I, ordinance was not a, a coveted branch at West Point back then, probably, who knows today? Probably not ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, it wasn't chem. I think that's the one that like. Nothing against wanted. those of you that are EOD or anything, <laughs> <Yeah>. but. <laughs> so, so I'm branch ordinance, but I'm at the top of of the ordinance branch for yeah. posting. So I ended up picking Germany, which was really exciting. Where in Germany? Well, I didn't end up going. I, I can't even remember which 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 um, oh. which base it was. Might have been over there when Kyle was there. Yeah. Where were you there? I was uh what I joined the army in 09. So my uh, my lieutenant was <laughs> a class of 09. Who who was it? We were the same age. He was he didn't go to West Point. He went to oh, Boise State. Okay. Uh, the other two lieutenants in our platoon were class of 08. Or, or no, I'm sorry, in our troop, we're class of 08 from West Point. Um, was it what's his name? Schmutz. You remember a guy named Schmutz? That's, That's an easy name to remember. Yeah, That's he but he was a character man. He <laughs> was. But my my Bradfield, he went to uh, Boise State. Okay. But anyway, we were all the same age because I spent six, five and a half wonderful years in college before I enlisted in the army. So you took the uh, the, the long route. Yeah, it could have been worse. Yeah. You, you, yeah you, and didn't you, graduate, yeah, by the way. Just a West Point grad. You know what I mean? I, was, I joined the army with just as many credit hours as you and nothing to show for it. Oh man. Well, I'm sure you. You know, your role is really. It worked out. Yeah. <laughs> so so you chose EOD and well, you were scheduled to go to Germany, but. So you backed out? Or? Well, so I, I mean, I, I was at ordinance. Oh, sorry, I'm going to be calling. I don't even think the, some of these programs exist anymore. It was OBC, Officer Basic Course. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to do mm -hmm. my, uh, my ordinance training, and there is where you get to do EOD school tryouts. And so I, I, I had a, actually the, the mother of my godsons, who I'm like definitely in their neck of the woods these days, um, spend a lot of time with them. She was a mentor of mine at West Point, and she she had gone EOD, and I was like, well, what's that all about? And she told me about it. I talked to a couple of other officers, and they explained it. I said, okay, well, even though I'm ordinance, this sounds like kind of hardcore. I feel like maybe this is what I should be doing, so yeah, yeah. why not? Um, so I, I got through the tryouts. I was really excited. Bomb suit, fine, not claustrophobic, and then um, went to EOD school, which was in two phases. Part of it was in uh, Redstone, and then the rest of it was in Florida at Eglin yep. Air Force Base. Yep. And so I can't, sorry, I keep saying I can't remember. I'm like 35 now. This is when <laughs> I was like early 20s. <laughs> totally but, understand that. But um, <laughs> yeah, so the school was maybe about 12 months, and I think I made it to like the 11th month and and then washed out. Wow. And it was a little, it was kind of a weird situation, a little political. There were seven women at the time going through this course with 2,000 men. And there was this one um one cadre member is that what we say yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, in particular who just like did not like me he he just had a, a thing and um i think that came from at the time i was still doing a lot of like races i wouldn't say like normally you know as a, a, a like 5k well no i was doing marathons okay. at that time i had i think i'd already gotten this world record for the fast marathon full military uniform and I was training for other things. Oh, so you were already in the paper. You were a celebrity. Yeah. And you're coming through my program. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And you're a woman. Exactly. Yes. And and then on top of that, while I was there, I was invited to do a triathlon uh, to represent the Army, actually. And, I mean, not like I was, you know, a pro and going to get first place or something. But it was just, they were like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you can come. And, like, as long as you wear this, you know, on your on your jersey, then... 
we'll like waive the fee and you know have you representing the army and have, we have people representing these different branches and it was like a I don't know a few hour drive on a weekend we didn't have any school during the weekend and I filled out a pass so that I could go since it was outside of 250 miles or whatever <laughs> I know I know these days I'm like I had to ask permission to go do something on a weekend what was my life yeah. but so I, I filled out I was doing everything right and this came across his desk and he's just like he just he was like oh here's my moment I'm just gonna be like no and he he like flipped his desk over almost was yelling made this whole scene in the office about how I didn't care about EOD I wasn't committed all I wanted to do was race and I was going to injure myself at this race and then I was going to be able to finish the program well he saw your whole future (laughs) and you didn't (laughs) wow I know I got to thank this guy whatever his name was because good I forget that too (laughs) (laughs) were you in the Florida phase then I was yeah I was almost done with school and I mean all a bunch of other little things but basically at that point forward it was all subjective like I'd gone through all the objective like memorizing a million things taking a test every single day and then yeah on like a practical thing you know kicked me out so um but but it was but by then I'd already given away my Germany slot to someone else at OBC and actually this was (laughs) it got bad because uh then they were like well okay now you're gonna get sent to Fort Jackson and for a West Point lieutenant that's like I mean Fort Jackson's great Fort Jackson's great, but for a West Point lieutenant, that was like the least glamorous place you go. You know, you're not going to deploy. All your classmates are like, what are you doing? This trade-off is trade-off. insulation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some people want to be in trade-off for plenty right. of reasons, but I was like, no, 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 no. I literally was trying to do the opposite of this. And so I get there, but I had this awesome, um, I had an awesome uh, commander who knew my mission in, in life. I was like, I really just want to deploy. And so he helped me. Um, he helped me get on as an individual augmentee to go do a provincial reconstruction team mm, and join nice. that as a logistics officer. And then I, that was my role during the day. And then at night I was doing the female engagement team leader stuff, mm-hmm. which totally just fell into my lap. Um, so ultimately at the end of all of this, if my whole goal from West Point was like, I want to go deploy and have a hardcore deployment where I actually feel like I'm, you know, contributing in like the most way that feels fulfilling to me. I actually got that in the super roundabout way because over there, I basically, you know, I, I was going outside the wire plenty. I was, you know, going out at night. I was part of this, um, spearheading this program for women doing the female engagement team leader stuff. And, um, and yeah, it was a humanitarian mission, which t- felt super aligned to me. I mean, part of me, like, could have gone to West Point or could have gone to the Peace Corps. Like, would have been, you know, fine with either one you of those. I totally see that. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so that ended up being, like, the best deployment and, um, and, when I think back to it, I'm like, okay, whatever. I would I rather have deployed as EOD or that? Like, oh, I would have. This wasn't even available to me out of West Point, which is why you know I ended up choosing EOD in the first place. But, um, but yeah, so I ended up getting to do that, um, and and then even ended up getting a a post. I I never got to go to Germany, but I did get to go to Korea for my last year and a half. Worked for a three star out there and lived in Seoul, which was. That's I mean, probably pretty sweet. Yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, important for me just having like Korean background and yeah. but like growing up in middle of nowhere, Ohio, not really being connected right. to that and right. having all these questions about like why is my family like this? Why is my mom like kind this? Of, kind of bringing it full circle. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I got to do it, you know, through the army, which was such mm-hmm. a such a gift. So everything ended up working out. But um, but that was like my that was basically my career. <laughs> you ended up spending what, 18 months or 24 because of Seoul. Uh, isn't Seoul different than like the DMZ? At least it used to be at one point. Yeah. Well, I did about 18 months in Korea. I think I had a one-year assignment, but I extended okay. it a little bit. Um, so Seoul is not far from the DMZ. And actually, 
I did go to the DMZ a lot on mm-hmm. these different tours, or even like when friends would come into town, I would take them there. But um, it was like maybe three years later, I actually went to the DMZ on the other side from the North Korea side. I what? Over there. You, oh, do tell. What, what, <laughs> law, what law did you break? Uh, yeah, I, I mean. <laughs> I told you, I filled out all my paperwork to oh, go out of the 250 mile radius. I, <laughs> I've gotten busted too many times that like try to skirt the rules. But yeah, it was, um, I, there was some stuff I had to do. So I, I always thought Americans can't go to North Korea. Yeah. But for years. I didn't realize that. Well, okay. So this was back then. I was. I told you guys I was running marathons yeah. and, and all of that. And as a joke, my friends would send me these, this article that CNN, I think, would do every year. There was the Pyongyang Marathon. They would do a little write-up on it. And uh, and they were like, oh, you should do this one next. Ha, ha, ha. Because, you know, you know, I was always doing a couple a year. And when I got to business school in Philly, um, I... I mean, I got that article again, and I looked at it, I was like, okay, look, there are Americans in this race. How are they in this? Now I'm actually a little intrigued. So I did the research, and I found out with, you know, actually, Americans could go. There was actually nothing blocking you. Um, and you could do the whole week over there as long as you, you know, there's like a few uh, UK tour companies that would do it, but they ran their businesses out of China. So you'd have to go into China first. And then it was a little weird because they would take your passport and not give it back to you till the end of the trip. And no they would, way. the North Korean visa was a separate piece of paper that they would just like put in there. But when you left, they took it back. And it's like the whole thing never happened. But that's some freaky stuff right there. I mean, there's so much freaky stuff about North Korea. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, at the time, like you actually could go. And I, but when I applied, I, I was, I was totally upfront. I said, hey, look, yeah. I worked for a three star in South Korea, or yeah, South Korea, who was in charge of all, you know, deterring North Korean aggression. He was the commanding general of, um, of uh, Eighth Army over in Korea, and so yeah, I was his. Um, Deputy XO, and on top of that, yeah, I had a top secret security clearance, which had just expired. So I told them all of this, and they were like, yeah, 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 we don't care about any of that. What is this middle name on your passport, Sung Bin? What is that all about? Because my middle name is Korean. Mm-hmm. My, you know, my first and last name are, are, you know, more like my dad French side, but my middle name's Korean. So they saw that in there, and they were like, we just need you to sign this waiver. It says you're not going to try to go find your long-lost relatives. And so that's the only issue they had. I was like, fine, I don't even know where they are. So I signed I was going to say, had you done any genealogy yeah, at this point? That would be the next thing. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to break out and go into North yeah. Korea yeah. and try to hunt down my relatives. Well, yeah. the thing is, all the stories that you hear, I mean, I did a lot of research on this before. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, my friends were like, you're an idiot. Why are you going to there? You're going to get, like, murdered or captured, and they're not going to let you come back. And um, But, and yes, there's a lot of stories about people being detained in North Korea, but... From my research, what I saw was 100% of them broke some rule that they knew they were breaking that would not have been that big of an issue anywhere else. But in North Korea, like, I don't know, I don't mess around in North Korea. So it's either people, like, crossing the border illegally from China, like, proselytizing, bringing Bibles over, or, um, like, re- or reporters who went in saying they're not a reporter, but they're actually there trying to get a story. Yeah. And, or, you know, the poor kid who ripped the, stole the poster. Um, that was a year after I left. There was an American college student, Otto Warmbier, who stole a poster off a wall to, uh, the story was he was going to trade it to somebody for a car when he came back home or something. It was like a poster of Kim Jong-un, too, wasn't it? It's like, they got propaganda posters everywhere there. I mean, you can buy them if you want. Who won the race while you were there? Did Kim Jong-un win the race? (laughs) Actually, (laughs) 
There was, I think, an Ethiopian or Kenyan who was about to win because it was several laps around downtown. And they Kyoming. stopped him. No, they sent him the wrong way at the last minute and sent a so, North, so Korean the North Korean on. So the North Korean win. Korean yeah. Yeah. Yes. Much. Yeah. You can't make that up. Yeah. You can't any, make that up. Any, any country that has an automatic hole-in-one golf course. <laughs> Like, the, like I, I read an article, I don't know if it's true or not, but it was like this, there's this one golf course there. Every green is like slanted towards, towards the hole. So all you got to do is hit the green and it goes in the hole. So yeah, they didn't let us go to any. That's like well. miniature golf yeah, kind of place, exactly, right? But that, like, that's, that's North Korea. They make their own rules. Yeah, actually, um, I went to a, a shooting range there. That was a little weird. They, well, you had the option to shoot a chicken if you wanted, but like a live chicken. Yeah, but they were like all in a cage, like just no. on the other end. And it's like, do you want to like shoot a caged chicken? Like, uh, no. It was it was weird. They do. I mean, <laughs> I I didn't see anything that I really support over there. But I also didn't really even see the full story. It's yeah, always yeah. you know they just show you what they they want you to see it, and even that's not. It's fascinating in its own way. That is the only vacation that I've ever been to where walk, watching people walk down the sidewalk out of the tour bus window was, it didn't get old by the end of the week. Like, the, the most mundane things I was just so fascinated by because, like, they are living in another dimension over there. It's really sad and bizarre and, yeah. I The other I side like, of it, though, if you grew up there and you never experienced anything else... How would you know any different? I wonder how much more they know, though, now, because there's a lot of, like, SD cards yeah. that get dropped over. Elon Musk and Starlink and, yeah, you know. Yeah, people are always dropping. And, like, they have computers at home, and so they'll watch Korean dramas and soap operas mm. from South Korea over there, which would look so crazy to someone in that world. But they've seen it, and they know it's out there. I just, yeah. you know, there's people who end up escaping, and they tell a little bit about it. But, but yeah, like, the... Obviously, I mean, I think most is it as know. surreal as the, your first couple of weeks in Afghanistan? Hmm. How, how does that compare? Because I thought I was in the Stone Age, but they happened to yeah. have cell phones. You know what I mean? Like it was mud huts, it was rocks, it was that. But oh, you have a cell phone. I I I remember feeling that similarly. This so the whole Stone Age is feeling over there too. Um, seeing just livestock, cows and stuff, just hanging out in the living room and. Oh, yeah. um, kick open a door and there's a baby in a swing and a cow next to it in the same room. Yeah. That's, a, that's real life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very common scene. Um, I mean, I guess it was just different. Where I went in North Korea, everything was, it was kind of modern. I wouldn't call it modern. It was like this Soviet sort of architecture. It's very like yeah. Soviet Late 20th inspired. century yeah. Soviet chic. <laughs> but yeah. there's a, it's like a little crumbling, a little weird. Like even in the lobby of the hotel, there's these like sad sharks swimming around like this aquarium. And it's all, it's really bleak and strange. I, I hate to even complain too much because we were eating better than, you know, 99.9% .9 of the country, yeah. even though it was just like a deep fried fish bone and like some wilted kimchi. But yeah. Wow. Um, was the kill did the kimchi compare to South Korean kimchi? Not even not close. Even close was it, it wasn't no, even yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Not even close. Where'd you finish? Uh, the in the race. Oh, where did I finish? Oh, I don't even know. Oh, not I didn't get a great finish time there. I mean, there were like professionals coming sure, there to, sure. to win, and well, I don't know the North Koreans won, but so they didn't uh, route you in the wrong direction. Yeah. Meant that you no, did not for didn't, me. You didn't do like, that well then. No, I no, I mean that one. I was <laughs> I, I was not. That was like I think that was the last marathon I've ever done. I came out of retirement just to do that okay, one. Cool. Wow. And I, they had a cutoff of four hours, I think, which is 
it's I think most marathons are like five or six hours. So four hours, I was like, okay, I actually got to like train a little bit for this. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I was like not far from four hours. I just wanted to get under it. What was the elevation though? Was it a uh, pretty good elevation there? I can't even remember. It wasn't anything. You don't like, remember it being like an issue? No, though. no, okay. no, definitely not. Um, so let's go back, though, to one of those initial ones, of course, prior to going to EOD school of what you did and setting the record, of course, with the gear. So let's go back to that time period and such. So tell us about that. What made you want to go into that? Yeah, well, I'd been running marathons. I would do like a couple of them every year, yeah. and I was doing one for some type of veteran charity each year and then the other one was just kind of like okay keep keep training and but i didn't want to ask people for money like twice a year <laughs> i was kind of always asking the same people for money like these professors these old friends these you know these these friends of mine and um and i just felt like okay i gotta like up the ante i can't just be telling everyone like, okay i'm doing another marathon this one's just in a different city mm -hmm. donate money to this veteran organization so um the the organization i chose that year was uh uh, one around traumatic brain injuries okay. and um, and I I remembered looking in the Guinness World Book of Records and seeing a soldier had done it in his gear a British guy and and I just went back uh, I thought okay now I've run several marathons I have an idea of what my pace is I wonder I just want to see what that time was if it was like shocking to me or if it's like you know oh okay it that guy was the only one who tried to do it or something <laughs> so I looked it up and it, it really wasn't that hard of a time um and so, yeah, I think it was like f a little over four hours and full gear by that definition was helmet, obviously like whatever uniform top and bottom were, and then body armor with the plates in and your boots. So they called that full military uniform. Did they weigh everything to make sure it was equal? It wasn't, it wasn't like even based on weight. It was okay. like you have to have those, those items. Okay. What boots did you wear? Uh, definitely the Nike ones. The they Nike had, Freeze. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. They yeah. had been out for a few years, yeah. and yeah, yeah, I definitely wore them. But there was no getting around the the ACH. No. Yeah. That thing was heavy, and then the body armor. I mean, I I like cinched that down so tight, but it still like rubbed my back just raw. Um, so, oh yeah, and also I don't. I, I think I wore the top that was you know the top you could wear. It, it that had the rank on the side. Yeah, that the, thing. The cool was, guy yeah, top. The cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that all the overweight National Guards dude wore, yes. wore in the uh, chow hall. Like, oh, my dude, gosh. Put that thing away, man. <laughs> Just go put something else on and come back and eat. Well, that was, I mean, a way to, to, instead of you running in, like, that top that feels like cardboard, yeah. you know, it made a lot of sense. So that, that was some ways that I made it, it work for me. But, um, yeah, so I that was that was what I ran. And I looked at him. I thought, okay, I'll run. I think his, his time was, like, four something. Or, no, sorry, it was five something. I think 517. And I thought, okay, if I run with a five-hour pace group and just try to break that, then I should be good. And I was running with a five-hour pace group. And then, um, yeah, I just, they were, I think we were at like mile 20 or something. And the, the leader was like, I think you're good. You should just break off and go. And I was so scared. I was like, oh, no, like, I just should stay with you guys and then I'll get it. But, you know, should I be greedy and try to go a little faster? And I thought, okay. And I went and, uh, and ended up finishing in 454. So, um, but then it ended up, automatically becoming the women's record they only had one before that for the men and yeah. so even though it beat his record it just became its own thing so i think he still kept that technically but since then i think a lot of men have broken his record and i don't know if anyone's even trying to break by have, have you not like gone out there periodically and go hey, okay mean, still good still no, good. i i think 
I have seen it. I don't know. Sometime in the last couple years. But also, I feel like if someone tried to break it, like somehow I would find out, and I, w- I would be so excited for anyone. I mean, that was like that was a goal dream. It was like ten years ago now. If for someone else to get to enjoy that whole you know journey and train for that and have that, uh, someone else can have. Yeah, this is my permission. Whoever's listening, woman who wants to go run <laughs> a marathon in that get up, go do it, and pick a fast race, and and you'll do good. <laughs> the endurance that goes with that. The, I mean, uh, you know that's. That's five hours of running with that gear. That's some serious stuff right there. Shoulders were smoked, weren't they? Well, honestly, that one, that was not my hardest race at all. Really? It kind of just felt like a a little trot. I mean, that was not my normal race pace. Like a normal race for me, I think my fastest was, I don't know, low threes, three something. So that, that race was just a very comfortable, and I was training with my, you know, a weight vest on all the time. So have you so. qualified for Boston? Yeah, I qualified. Have you, have you ran Boston? For that, I did. Okay. I think that's where I, actually where I PR'd was Boston. It's a hell, hell of a race to PR at. I mean, I, had, I was so happy at that race. I'd been reading race reports of like what happens at, you know, Wellesley and all these yeah. different places. And when I was in that race, I, was, I think I was cried at least twice. Just like, oh, my gosh, this feels so, you know, you're just in it. You're in the moment. You're so present. Well, every, everyone I've talked to that's raced that race said it, it's like – Somebody scoring a touchdown all the time. That's how loud it is all the time. Someone's cheering really? for you. Everybody loves the fact that you're there, and it's like the most motivated race you've ever been in. It's a big party. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's cool. I wanted to go back. After the bombing and, and everything, too. So how was that, you know, for you? Yeah. Um, just it's it seemed like, the, I don't know, the city just, like, picked right back up and, yeah. and, and wasn't going to let that stop them. So, and even since then, it seems like. It's still always a big thing, and yeah. yeah, I've got friends who go. You went from um, West Point. You mentioned that you weren't like the stalwart, you know, great athletic individual to running marathons and breaking world records. <laughs> yeah, it seems kind of backwards, right? right? It, you know what I mean? It no, like yeah, she's, usually it's she's you slow, peak there, and then you like the rest of us, it starts going downhill after yeah. that as you get older. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like overwhelming modesty or what is yeah. it like. So. <laughs> Do tell. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I don't think. I'm I'm not like a natural born athlete. I don't think I have a, a lot of just natural talent really for anything. I'm I no really. I don't, I don't. believe you. No, it's true. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the one thing I was good at at West Point, I will say it at um Beast or Boot Camp, one of the things you have to do is memorize all these different like, you know, war speeches from generals and mm-hmm. like the rank and all these different aspects of the M nine and the M seven or whatever. But so I was fast at memorizing things, and I guess that, that helped me out at EOD school too. But like physically, um, military, all these things, like I had a ways to go. So um, yeah, but the, but what one thing I do have that works, you know, for any of these disciplines is I just feel like I can, I, I just know I can outsuffer most people. You can embrace the suck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I'll just keep going. Yeah. You're not going to break done. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, that definitely goes, you know, back to childhood. And the I was going to say, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's that drive of you can't break me and I'm going to demonstrate. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, just from such a young age being the, um, well, really in my family system, I was definitely the scapegoat from like, I don't know about day one, but from like, uh, I don't know, at least the age of 10 onwards, maybe a little bit before that. Um, so have just growing up in that and having to tolerate or take pretty well, you're, much you're anything. You're shouldering a burden that you shouldn't have had to shoulder, but you learned to cope with it. Exactly. So, yeah, makes yeah. sense. And it's, it, it's, it's, 
it helped me out in plenty of ways in the army. It's helped me out in plenty of ways since then with, you know, if I want to go climb a mountain or I want to do different things. But, um, but I do notice it's also this armor of sorts that has kept me from, I think, reaching my full potential in plenty of other things. Definitely with knowing myself, definitely with um, sometimes even relationships and connecting with other people. So uh, I wasn't really in that phase of life back then. So it was just working for me in a lot of ways. And people, you know, especially in the military, you'll get so much validation for being able to PT and being a- and just putting up with anything and never yeah. quitting. I mean, that's kind of yeah. what the job is yeah. in so many ways. So I was made to be in the Army. I was not made to be at West Point. But once I got to the Army, those things really worked in my favor. And then with all these, you know, stressful hobbies I was coming up with to do on the side. So I mean, I had so much anger and energy. I had to get it out some way. Like I ended up, I've been in the hospital twice with alcohol poisoning. So, I mean, that obviously wasn't working for me. And then, you know, plenty of other dramatic things that I had going on in my life. But this was the one thing, exercise, where it was socially acceptable. It made me look great at work. Um, it made me better at my job to be this fit. And so, um, so that was the avenue that I just went full force. Okay, what else can I do in this world? And, you know, other people are being inspired by this. I thought, oh, wow, this is just my dysfunction. But great, if that inspires yeah. someone, <laughs> I guess that makes me feel good. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's that's where that came from, just being so young and having to tolerate literally anything and just insanity and always being in the middle of that. Um, but, you know, now being, you know, at my age now, I, I just try to find ways to channel that in healthier ways and to use it as a gift and to use it to accomplish things I want to, but not in, you know, not things that destroy myself. Like I think I've destroyed my body enough. We don't need to do more. I heard something here. I got to ask you a question. Am I in the presence of another ASAP graduate? ASAP graduate. Okay. You got to tell me what this is as uh, well. So then. early or late two thousands, early two thousand tens, you know, I don't know what they call it now, but the army had an army substance abuse program. And so if you were found to have a problem with drinking or any type of thing, you failed a drug test, whatever, um, you were asked to go in and get an evaluation. And if you failed or passed the evaluation, then it would lead into further training in this program. Um, and just, I guess you were probably in West Point when you had trouble with alcohol. Yeah. That being the time of the time of the in in the Army's life, you probably had to go to ASAP or had some type I of did. ASAP. They training. threw everything at me. I did two two hundred of my hours were for alcohol. Yeah. So that was a year straight of just marching around in a square. And uh, yeah, I had to do ASAP and I had to do AA. I had to go to the local AA meetings in my uniform. It was just real that was yeah and the weird thing was i wasn't i mean clearly i had an issue with drinking yeah. um but i wasn't drinking that much it was like if it was i binge did, if, drinking if, well when you went drinking it was zero you to went full real in. quick totally yeah. like yeah there is no one drink i mean i i can't even fathom that it was just i was gonna get tanked oh yeah um and also i wasn't really i wasn't really slick back then <laughs> I just thought, okay, I'm out of my parents' house now where, you know, everything was so controlled. Now, anything but that must be freedom, right? Like, I thought West Point was freedom. I went there thinking, I am free just because I'm out of that. I mean, and in a lot of ways, West Point was like the Shangri-La compared to where I had come from. But uh, but obviously, if you're just going to be yourself and, like, stand out already as it is as a woman... Yeah. I mean, I had a target on my back, and it was like for every two times I went out drinking, I was getting 100 hours. I was getting trouble for at least one of them. So whereas most cadets are actually drinking, they're just not getting busted for it. So, yeah, um, so yeah that yeah, I, I did ASAP. I did AA. And 
And not um, to make light of the situation, but you know, oh, real mean, recognizes real sometimes. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. It's, uh, it's, it, I mean, <clears throat> and granted, I don't even think I got that much out of those programs. It was something about the way they were structured. I think they mean well, but I, I had to go on my own journey to figure mm-hmm. out why, right. you know, how to get you out of You had to discover things. why your relationship with yeah, alcohol was the way it was. It's the exactly. why. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I think, honestly, I'm, can, can you guys talk about like plant medicine and stuff on here? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> we were sponsored by a, a CBD company. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah so. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I think for me, like the biggest real, finally like breaking through that was many years later and going. Yeah. Um, I went and and did ayahuasca in Peru. For oh, did you really? But nice. this is. Um, Tell us about that. Uh, yeah. So this was back in 2018. Okay. And um, I I was there for a week. It was <laughs> like between work projects and. Uh, so I only had a week, but they like you to go for seven days or sorry, 10 days, but I only had seven. So I did four ayahuasca ceremonies and, uh, it was kind of the classic thing. I mean, it was out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, I had so many mosquito bites that it looked like I had a full body rash and, uh, but it was, it was the full experience and you're out there and you just do it at night and it goes on all night long. And, um, it was really intense. I like not all the ceremonies were the same, but the one that stands out to me the most was uh, so ayahuasca teaches you a lot about empathy, and um, and I went there with the intention of I just want to work on my relationship with myself. Whatever this is, like I I, I don't even know what I'm s- seeking or searching for, but but whatever that is, I know it has something to do with me. And what ended up happening in my second ceremony was. All of a sudden, I was looking at myself, but I wasn't myself. I was actually my mom. And no way. so I became my mom, and I was looking at me, and I felt, and I, I felt what she feels when she looks at me. And it was so intense because I've been hearing my whole life, you know, that, um, so my mom grew up very poor in Korea. For her generation, it was like, a third world country. When we think of Korea now, it's you know yeah. plastic surgery and top the of the line electronics. The yeah. yeah, but but back then it was very poor, and yeah. so um, you know my life growing up upper middle class in Ohio, even though I thought it was like lame compared to New York City or something. I mean, to her that was like the creme de la creme, you know, how the other half lives. And so um, so I was really fortunate to have been born into that world, but I didn't know anything but that. And so. Um, I, I didn't really have an appreciation for what my mom had been through and understanding why, you know, I deserve to be tortured for whatever, you know, these different circumstances that we were born into. But when I saw myself from her eyes, and at the time I was working um, as a consultant at McKinsey, and my life was like, not fun. I was flying for work every week. I was stressed out, with, uh, keeping up with client demands and all of that. And, um, and that's, you know, why I felt like I needed to go into the jungle to go figure things out. Um, and... But when I saw myself through her eyes, I just saw like everything she wanted for herself. She, I mean, I complain about flying in a plane every week, but I mean, to her, all she sees is flying first class twice a week. This is amazing. Or uh, going to clients and like having to prepare for me. And she, she just, you know, to her, that would have been like someone, someone admiring you for what your brain has to offer. Like these are things that, you know, she were never even um, opportunities for her. So um, and I just felt such a deep appreciation for that in the moment and, you know, forgave her for, you know, the, all the things. And uh, so that was super powerful for me. But still, you know, after that, I stayed, stayed on the path and consulting for years. And it just progressively still got worse and worse and worse. And even though I healed this thing with my mom, I still hadn't figured out, you know, why was I still so miserable? And I hadn't figured out the thing with myself. And that didn't happen until years later. Different plant medicine ceremony. 
where um oh man this was kissing like, the toad or uh, was it abigame <laughs> it was dmt nice okay, yeah not to be trifled with yeah well, i guess do we even call that plant medicine i guess partially um but the it uh yeah i i was all i saw was this fire and there was this silo in the middle of it and there was a fire going on in the inside of the silo and there was this window and i just saw this like figure in the window and it was screaming down into the flames to just like go harder work like faster just like yelling out all these demands and You won't want to miss part two with Sophie where she talks about her crazy hallucinations but how she was able to recover from some trauma by taking DMT. And I just knew instinctively that like, okay, that's my ego up there screaming at me, just on fire. Also, she talks a lot about her summiting of Mount Everest. Check out part two coming next week.